If you will, take your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians 6, if you don't have a Bible and need one, there should be a black hardbound Bible somewhere close by in the pews, and 1 Corinthians 6 is on page 955, at least the text that we will read. As you're turning there, I will uh, say thank you for those who are praying. We, I still have nothing to update you on, on our passports uh, for Guatemala, except that um, uh, Senator Mike Braun's office is working with us and seeking to help us uh, in that. Um, but obviously the day is drawing near, uh, so uh, keep praying. Uh, the Christian life is uh, a spiritual life. I mean, we talk about spiritual truth, um, spiritual gifts, spiritual warfare, spiritual disciplines. Um, but many may wonder, if, if the Christian life is a spiritual life, then does it really matter what we do with our bodies? Are we free to do whatever we want with our bodies? Are we free to satisfy the desires of our bodies in any way that we want? Well, many people in Corinth, in ancient Corinth, actually thought so, and it's led to sexual immorality, even prostitution. But if the Christian life is a spiritual life, is it really immorality? Is it really all that bad? Does it really matter. Let's listen to Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. This is what the Spirit says through the Apostle Paul. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Let's pray together. Our Father, we come to your word, and as we do, we recognize that it is your word that your word is the last word, 
Your word is a true word. Your words are sufficient words for our lives and for our faith and for our godliness. And so we want to understand your words, and to do that, Lord, we need your spirit to help us. Speak to us through your word. My words are weak. Your words are strong. May the strength of your spirit and the power of your spirit and the power of your word be brought to bear on all our lives this morning. That we might know you and love you and obey you. For Jesus' sake, amen. There's a Geico commercial that plays as a parody of a horror movie. You've likely seen it. These four friends are running through the woods from the killer, and they come upon an old, creepy-looking house with a shed, and they got to decide what they're going to do. And one of them says, let's hide in the attic. And another, let's hide in the basement. And then one of the young ladies turns and says, why don't we just get in the running car? And they tell her, that's stupid. Let's go hide in the shed with all the chainsaws. <laughs> it's a funny commercial. It's well done. But the reality of the Christian life is not too much different. The problems in our spiritual life are not too much different than that Geico commercial. Because the reality is, is that there is a killer out to stalk you. Sin is out to get you. It stalks you everywhere you go. It's ruthless. It's relentless. It's dangerous. It will not be deterred. And we are often like the characters in that commercial, aren't we? Moving toward it, staying around it, dabbling with it, thinking, well, we're safe here. We can hang around this and be okay. We're wise enough not to go too far here. But the problem is, that's stupid. Because we are fools. And one area of foolishness is brought out in this text, the area of sexual immorality. And too many Christians today are hiding in the world's dingy shed with the chainsaws of sexual immorality hanging around them, and these can rip your soul apart. And each of them has different labels. Pornography casual relationships, living together, homosexuality, adultery, fooling around. 
I mean, the reality is maybe you're crouching in that shed this morning. Maybe you think you're safe playing with a chainsaw online, playing with a chainsaw in that dating relationship or outside your marriage or just playing around with it in your heart. And dear friend, this morning, you will be tempted to dismiss because you think that you're safe you will be tempted to dismiss for any number of reasons, but hear God's voice through the Apostle Paul's words. Flee from sexual immorality. Don't walk and don't wait. Don't horse around with it. Run. Glorify God in your body by fleeing from sexual immorality. And why? Why is this so important? Why is Paul so insistent? Why this urgency to flee? Why not just resist? Why not just don't go there? Why flee? Well, the answer to that question goes directly to the heart of actually what it means to be a Christian. And he says it at the end of verse 19. You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Why? Why? Why flee from sexual immorality? Well, well because you are not your own. You see, in the ancient Greek world, it's, it was, it's common to have mistresses. It's common practice to keep concubines for the pleasure that those can give, but then also to have a wife for the sake of family, for the sake of having children and raising children. The, the way you live in the realm of sexual activity in the ancient world is yours to determine. But Paul is looking at these ancient people and he's saying, not so for you. You are not your own. You don't belong to you. You're not your own Lord. You don't determine what's right and wrong. You don't set your own parameters in the area of sexuality. Now, that doesn't just confront the Corinthian culture, does it? It confronts our culture. It confronts, maybe it confronts you right where you're at this morning. You see, as a culture, we are convinced that each of us determines our own path, our own moral standard in every kind of area, especially the area of sexuality, that it's our right to do so. And if you think that somehow when you came in the doors of the church that somehow that manner of thinking stayed outside, well, that's just flat-out naive. Because this kind of thinking has not only come to church, it's a regular attender. You see, because the basic human instinct is to say, I am my own. I do me. I decide for me. And God says through Paul, you are not your own. Now, in Corinth, there were a couple of sayings that, that were used to justify this kind of sexual activity. 
And Paul confronts and clarifies them both. Well, first, what he shows them in telling them that they're not their own is that your freedom isn't for you. Your freedom isn't for you. Look at verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. So this phrase, all things are lawful of me, must have been a common uh, mantra and saying in Corinth. I mean, he brings it up again in chapter 10 when he's talking about idolatry. All things are lawful for me. This great boast of Christian freedom, which is a biblical idea. Jesus says in John 8, if the Son sets you free, what are you? Free indeed. Paul writes in Galatians 5, that is, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Isn't that wonderful? It's wonderful that we've been set free. But, in fact, just, that's one way to just say I'm a Christian is to say I've been set free. I've been set free. But, you see, they were hearing this word freedom, and they were, say, they were thinking free for all. Freedom means I can do whatever I want. I can indulge in any kind of sexual activity I want. And so Paul wants to clarify what is such a popular saying in uh, that city. He clarifies first with common sense. All things are It's like Paul's arguing with himself. All things are lawful for me. But not everything is helpful. Now Paul is not saying in the he's not even implying that sexual immorality, that freedom to do whatever you want in that sphere of life is lawful. He's not saying that at all. He's saying even the things that are lawful doesn't mean you should do them all because they're not all beneficial for you. I mean, I want you to imagine you're going you're gonna to finish, uh, finish the service here and you say, you talk to people on your way out and you think, I think we'll go to Golden Corral after. I don't know why, but you decide you're going to go to Golden Corral. And so you go down to Greenwood and you go and you get the big dinner plate and you proceed to put cookies and pies and cobblers and cakes and all manner of things on there. And then you cover it with the soft serve ice cream. And then you cover that with the chocolates. I'm giving you ideas, I know. You cover it with the chocolate sauce and you cover it with the sprinkles and then you sit down and you eat every last bite of it. Are you free to do that? You better believe it. They say all I can eat? I mean, that's what a buffet is. Are you free to do it? Yes. Is it good for you? No. Is it beneficial? No. Is it helpful? No. It's just common sense that just because something is lawful for me doesn't mean it's good for me. He also confronts that saying with, um, with, with resolve. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. You see, dear friend, the Christian cannot hand control of his or her life over to anyone. Because we are not our own to give ourselves away like that. You see, you may be able to drink alcohol in moderation. You may be able to take OxyContin after surgery for pain. But you are not free to give yourself over to these and to be dominated by them. 
I want you to imagine a young woman in a relationship where sexual immorality is taking place. And you speak to her about this, and she says, but, but, but I'm in love. I'm in love. I, I need him. I can't break up. I'm, I'm too invested. I've given too much of myself to this. I mean, I still love the Lord and everything, but I can't just r- walk away from this, much less run away from this. Friends, that's exactly what it looks like to hand yourself over, to be dominated. In this particular area of life, I mean, and and honestly, in all these areas, it's not an unwilling domination. It's to put oneself and say, you will have such a place in my life that I won't leave this for anything. I won't leave this sin for anything. Paul says, the resolve must be, I will not be dominated by anything. Your freedom isn't for you. Christian freedom isn't so that we can get what we want and do what we want. Christian freedom is so that we can honor the Lord and glorify Him and serve others. Paul says as much in in, uh, Galatians 5, a little bit later on. He says, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Your freedom isn't for you, but he also says your body isn't for you. Well, now that's coming very close to the heart of something that would cause outrage in our culture, isn't it? But he says it. Look at verse 13. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. So here the justification for any kind of sexual activity I want is to say, well, uh, that's just just a physical appetite. It's just like hunger. It's just like being hungry for lunch. It's just something that happens and needs to be satisfied. So the way in which I satisfy it is really up to me. But these two things are completely different. The appetite for food and the appetite for physical intimacy are not the same thing. One is about preserving physical life. The other is about physical pleasure. So, you are not your own. You see, if physical intimacies just a physical appetite like hunger, then we can do what we want, with whom we want, any time we want. In the same way, we can eat what we want. But it's not the same. Friends, your body can't survive without food. It can without physical intimacy. And I want to warn you Not all of you. I want to warn you men that you will take that and think of it in some kind of joking manner later with your friends or with your wife. Don't do it. That's a dangerous thought to start even joking about. 
The body must have food. Must. The other is not a must. Otherwise, how very odd would it be that the Lord Jesus Christ himself had no wife. So, he's telling them, this is not the same kind of thing. Your body, the, the physical food is differently than physical intimacy. You are not your own, which means that your body is not your own. It's not for you, he says in verse uh, 13. It is for the Lord. It's in these bodies that we're meant to serve the Lord, serve others, raise families, do our work, build friendships, share the gospel, serve the poor. Paul says in Romans 12 that we're to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. Our spiritual worship is seen in offering our bodies to God that what is done in these bodies is for Him. How much does your body matter? Well, look at verse 14. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. Now, that may seem like it just comes out of nowhere. My goodness. Why is Paul talking about the resurrection in the middle of a paragraph about sexual immorality? When you read the Bible, don't be afraid to ask those kinds of questions because that's a good question. Why would he say that? Well, he would say that because your body matters. The body of Bob Moore, which was just buried on Thursday, matters. God has made promises about that body, promises that one day that body will be raised and glorified and reunited with his soul to live in the new earth forever in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. How can we know that and not think that our body matters? You see, your body isn't yours in this life or in the life to come. You are not your own. Flee sexual immorality because you're not your own. But also, flee sexual immorality because you belong to God. You are not your own. You belong to God. Now, as Christians, that is a fundamental thing. That's a pretty simplistic thing to say, isn't it? I mean, we belong to God. We belong to Him because we were created by Him, but we also belong to Him because He saved us, because He's made us part of His people, part of His family. And we enjoy this belonging, don't we? We enjoy this belonging when we know that He cares for us, that He provides for us, that He sustains us in all the circumstances of life, that He loves us to the end, that He'll safely bring us home to heaven. We love belonging to God when we say those things, don't we? Don't you? It's not a rhetorical question. Don't you love that? You know when we begin to struggle with belonging to God? When it means I can't live the way that I want to. That I don't get to be the final authority for my life. But belonging to God doesn't just come with all of those things. Look, belonging to God, think about your marriage if you're married. Just think about marriage in general. Think about all the blessings of marriage. But marriage... In order to fully enjoy the blessings of marriage, you have to observe the boundaries of marriage. 
Not only in not stepping outside it, but how you live in it. And the same is true here. We belong to God. And because we belong to God, He is our Lord. His words determine our way of living. His standard for morality rules our sexuality. We belong to Him, and our bodies belong to Him. And there are four words in the rest of this paragraph that point to the fact that we belong to God, all right? Just underline them as we go. The first one is in verse 15. It is members. We are members. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Now, when we think of being members, we may think of Sam's Club or a fraternity or even a church, something where you can be a member one day and not be a member later. Like you're a member now, you move away, you're not a member, you come back, then you are a member again. That's not what this means. This is not what that kind of member is. This member is a word for body parts, like our arms, our legs, our eyes, our ears are all members of our body. So what Paul's saying is, as sure as, you know, sure as I know that this is my right hand, that my right hand, I can know that my body is a member of Christ vitally connected to him. It's not mine. This hand is not free to do whatever it wants. It does what my brain tells it to do. My heart drives it to do. It has instincts determined by all of that, all of those things. And in the same way, our bodies are to do what Jesus says to do, are to go where Jesus says to go. This is why that little song that we all learned as children is so wonderful, isn't it? Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. Be careful, little feet. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little mouths, what you say. We belong to Christ. We're members of Christ. So it's unthinkable to take something. Just think about this. Think about taking something that belongs to Jesus, that he is free to do with whatever he wants, and to say, no, I will do what I want with it. That's how unthinkable sexual immorality is because we are members. The second word is joined, joined in verses 16 and 17. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. The word joined here basically uh, speaks of being glued together binding yourself to something, to someone. So joining a prostitute, joining that girlfriend or boyfriend, joining that woman who is not your wife, joining them binds you to them, makes you one with them. You see, physical intimacy isn't just physical. It's also intimacy. It, there's a bond forged between a man and a woman that is deeper than mere physical pleasure. That's why Paul quotes Genesis 2. 
here when he says, you know, the, 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 two, uh, the two will become one flesh. Not because he equates a physical act with marriage, but in order to say this is the depth of the intimacy that's taking place when that happens. And here's the thing. We are free to join with one person in marriage if the Lord wills. But we are not free to join with anyone at any time and certainly not multiple people outside of the place that God intends. You see, we are free to do that. We are not free to do as we will. When we do what we want, when we indulge in those things, we belittle what God has made profound. And do you know what will happen to you? Your heart will become so hardened that you will only see it as something physical. That's how cold and calloused and hard your heart will be, is that it's just physical. And how many people are in such a state even today to think that this is only physical? That's all it is. And to not understand that yes, it is good. Yes, it is a gift. Yes, it is pleasure that God intends for us to have. But only as He intends it will we actually enjoy it in the way that He wants us to. In addition to that, Apart from that, Paul says in verse 17 that we are joined to the Lord. We're glued to Him. We're bound to Him. So flee from sexual immorality. You're bound to Him. You're one spirit with the creator of the universe. Don't go dabbling in that shed. Don't do that. You're joined to him. The third word is temple. In verse, uh, look at verse 18 and 19. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? In the Old Testament, the Lord came and dwelt with His people in the tabernacle, in the temple. And now the Bible teaches us that God dwells with us, not in a building, okay? This isn't God's residence. God doesn't live at 5500 Gray Road. That God's residence is in His people. His Spirit lives in our bodies. So, in the Old Testament, because God dwelt in the temple, it was to be used for His purposes. It's His temple. 
It's used for his purposes. You remember that story in the Gospel of John where Jesus comes, well, it's in multiple Gospels, but Jesus comes in and God's holy temple is being used for unholy purposes. And what does he do? He overturns the tables. He says, you can't use God's stuff just any old way that you want to. This is God's place. And in the same way, Paul's pointing at the Corinthians, and he's pointing at me, and he's pointing at you. And he's saying, that's God's place. That's why it's unthinkable for us to go and take God's temple, God's holy temple, and use it for unholy purposes. That's what Paul means by sexual immorality being against your own body. He's not saying it's the worst sin. What he's saying is it's unique. You know, somebody in the back of Corinth may be raising their hand and thinking, wait a second, drunkenness hurts my body. Uh, Suicide hurts my body. Gluttony hurts my body. So how is this? Well, in those cases, yes, they do affect the body. They do hurt the body. But in order to pursue drunkenness, you have have to have something outside your body in order to do it. Same thing with gluttony. Same thing with suicide, some kind of instrument, some kind of whatever. But the thing about sexual immorality that makes it so unique is that the body itself is the instrument of sin. The body that belongs to God, that is a holy temple, is used for sin. That's what makes it uniquely awful. You can't do it, Paul says. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So glorify God in your body and flee from sexual immorality. The fourth word is bought. Bought. End of verse 19. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. You see, the Christian belongs to God uniquely. Because we were slaves in sin. And friends, sin is a cruel master. It will rule you. It will abuse you. It will mock you. It will condemn you. It will leave you without hope of life and without hope of escape. And we are all born in that slavery. But the Lord Jesus Christ paid the ransom. He said he came to give his life as a ransom for many, to redeem us, to get us out of that slavery. He paid for our freedom with the blood of his dear son. That's good news. It's not that we were on the auction block and now we're bought into slavery. We're on the auction block and we're bought out of slavery. Our freedom has been purchased. Someone died to make us free. Not a freedom that leaves us in charge, but a freedom where we have now entered into the glorious freedom of belonging to God. Nothing will drag me to hell anymore. Nothing enslaves me anymore. I belong to God. 
It is belonging to him, being what Romans 6 says, slaves of righteousness. That is a joy. That is glory. That is wonderful. I no longer belong to slavery and sin. I belong to God. Now, maybe you're not a Christian and you hear that and you think, well, I don't want to belong to anyone. I don't want to belong to God. I don't want to belong to anyone else. I just want to be free to be what I want to be. Maybe that's what you're thinking. Yeah, I don't, that, whatever. I don't even think about sin. I don't even count sin. And I certainly don't want to belong to God. I just want to belong to me. Well, what you need to wrestle with, friend, is that the Bible says that's impossible. It's impossible. You either belong to sin in slavery or you belong to God you can either have the fleeting pleasure of sin or you can have the eternal pleasure of God you can either have the condemnation of sin or you can have the salvation of God either you can have the guilt of sin or the forgiveness of God Either you can have the shame of sin or the peace of God. Either you can have the curse of sin or the blessing of God. Either the death of sin or life from God. Either sin is your master or God is. Now, hearing all of that, which do you prefer? Let me tell you, all of us, from the moment we're born, from the moment we begin to exert our will and make decisions and say no back at mama and all those things, from that moment, our preference is, I'll take sin every day of the week and twice on Sundays. But, oh, friend, would you look at what Jesus has done for you? Would you look at what Jesus provides in his death, in his resurrection? Would you look at his mercy and look at his grace? Would you see how dark and destructive sin is? And how great and glorious Christ is? And would you turn to him? If you will, he will save you. He will forgive you. His arms will open and embrace you. It is only your stubborn pride that will keep you from saying, I am my own. And instead say, I want to be yours, God. And for the Christian, that decision has already been made. The answer to that question, who do you belong to, has already been answered. We do belong to God, but day by day, do you know what you have to answer? Day by day, moment by moment, the moment you finish, the moment we say amen and we start leaving, right now, as you hear this, you know the question you have to answer? Moment by moment, 
which do you prefer? That's what you have to answer. That's what I have to answer. As you live your life this week, which will you prefer? As you look back over the last week, which did you prefer? And dear friend, if you're middle, in the middle of being stuck in sin, stuck in the sin of sexual immorality, know this, that the same blood of Jesus that set you free will cleanse you from your sin. You can be assured that his forgiveness is greater than your fall, that your sins, though they are many, they can be washed as white as snow, that grace is greater than all your sins, that our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. And if we are Christians, the call of this text on us is to glorify God in our body by fleeing from sexual immorality. You're not your own. Neither your freedom nor your body is yours. You belong to God. You're members of Christ. You're joined to Him. You're the temple of the Spirit. You're bought with the precious blood of Jesus. Jesus has died to save you from sin and its consequences. All, that chainsaw, as it were, was turned against Him on the cross so that you would never face it. And because Jesus has been shred for your sin, because of Him, you are free. And because His Spirit lives in you, you have the power to run, to actually obey what Paul says we need to do and flee. Don't hang around. Don't fall into these dumb little traps. Stop toying around with sexual immorality. Don't mess with the trap that, that tries to dismiss or play down you know, your minimal sexual activity to this point. Don't, don't fall for the trap of believing that you, students, teenagers, don't fall for the trap of believing that you must be active in this area if you're really going to fit in with your other friends, if you're really going to live in a way that people won't mock you. I mean, they will mock you, but live in a way that's acceptable. Don't fall for the trap of trying to fit in with your friends. Don't, try, don't fall into the trap, men, of thinking that you're more free because your boss sent you on a business trip by yourself. Don't fall for the trap of flirting with your neighbors. Don't fall for the trap of secret social media connections with a coworker. Don't fall for the trap of just sending pictures and texts to one another. Don't fall for the trap of friend requests from bogus accounts. Don't fall for the trap of thinking that this is just how relationships progress. This is what it means to get serious. Don't fall for the trap of thinking that you'd be better off with her than with your wife. Don't fall for the trap of thinking nobody will know. Nobody will see. God will. Jesus didn't die for you to live in sin. He died so you could live free from sin. You are not your own. You, are, you belong to him, so flee. Don't walk. Don't wait. And don't look back. Keep your eyes on Jesus and run. Flee. Flee from sexual immorality because when you flee from it, you are running the race 
of glorifying God. And don't you want to do that? Don't you want to glorify God? Don't you want to see Him smile? Then run. Get up from the pew and run. Bow your heads in prayer and run. Today, not tomorrow, not after one last conversation with him or her. Run today. Flee. 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 Let's take a moment to pray, shall we? As you bow your head, it seems wise to examine where each of us is. Are you dabbling with these things? Are you flirting with it? Are you hanging around it thinking you're safe? You're not. Maybe it's not even sexual immorality, but when I start talking about sin, something else comes to mind. What are you dabbling with? What are you, what are you letting hang out in the corners of your life, on the couch of your life? Flee. You must be killing sin or it will be killing you. Run to Jesus. I'm going to give you a moment of silent prayer and then I will pray. Father, as we examine our own hearts, we do so that we might root out every drop of sin. Because of what you've done for us in Jesus, we don't, we don't want to cling to the sin that killed him. We don't want to hang on to the slavery we've been set free from. And so we ask for your help. Lord, while we live in a world in which sexual ethics are tossed out the window, keep us from blaming the world for our own sin. Keep us from blaming other people. Keep us from blaming our circumstance. Keep us from blaming our spouse. Keep us from blaming our desire to be married. Keep us from blaming our fear that we won't fit in. 
And give us grace to recognize that we are the ones who sin. And give us grace to run from it, to run to Jesus and to run for Jesus, to flee from sexual immorality and to glorify you in our bodies. Keep us from abusing the freedom that you have given us. Keep us from thinking we can do whatever we want with these bodies. Remind us that we are members who are joined to you, temples of the Holy Spirit, bought by the blood of Jesus. I pray for those who have been stuck in this sin, are stuck in this sin. God, give them grace to run to you in faith and confession and repentance, knowing that you are good and merciful and gracious and that Jesus will not cast out anyone who comes to him by faith. Oh God, how we thank you that when we see all of this sin in our life, all of the temptation, all of the ways we dabble with sin, all of the ways we toy with it, we can remember that Jesus paid it all. Thank you for Jesus. We pray in his great name. Amen. Let's stand and we're going to sing together. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson